Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The legends are true. We're overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all-new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to A Good Football Show's Week 17 Recap Pod. My name is Pat Crane, and in just a few moments, I'm going to be joined by everyone from the NBC Sports Edge team who covered the games for us. And when I say everyone, I mean everyone, because this was a huge week of games, a huge Sunday of games. Did not have a Thursday game. We did not have any Saturday games. We do have a Monday game, but every other game was on Sunday, so ton to cover. Let's get to the games. The Titans defeated the Dolphins 34-3 in a game where the Dolphins must have been in comeback mode, but Jalen Waddell was held in check. Chris Allen, what was going on on the Dolphins' side of the ball here? Uh, To be quite honest, I have no idea what the game plan from Brian Flores was coming into this game because after last week's performance for the Dolphins going up against the Saints, it was nothing but Jalen Waddle, and we expected that for that to be the case going up against the Titans. Uh, I know the Titans, like their uh, their actual like their defense from both a rush defense and also a passing defense. I mean, both top ten in terms of either rush EPA allowed or even uh, EPA per dropback. I know the defense was fairly tough overall, but they had been beaten in the slot over the past like few weeks. Now I know that you can't really compare uh, Jalen Waddle, at least we can't yet, to guys like Cooper Cup. I mean, but even Jacoby Myers had a good day against the Titans, if I'm remembering correctly, when they played against the Patriots. So I thought the matchup would still be there, but seeing him only at seven targets, he was involved, I guess, somewhat early on. I mean, he got an end around, I think, on their first series, maybe a target here or there, but mostly kept quiet. We didn't see even a larger or even a, a deep shot for him, even though we can't really expect Tua to have a lot of those, but we didn't, we didn't see an explosive play like from Waddle until about the third quarter. So all in all, I wasn't sure what the approach was like from Brian Flores. Uh, I don't really understand like why they continued to have like more runs on first downs, even when they were trailing. I mean, it was third quarter. I mean, nothing but like uh, running on first down, which I didn't understand the entire game plan, which I mean, seeing the store right now, I guess it kind of uh, kind of makes sense seeing the fact that they wound up losing this game afterwards. Yeah, uh, you mentioned seven targets for Waddle, saying only seven targets. Uh, that's not a you know, terrible uh, amount of targets, but Devontae Parker, 13 targets in this game, uh, 38 attempts for Tua. So, you know, certainly could have been more. And, you know, you're down 34 to three. Only seeing seven targets there it is a bit head scratching, uh, just given how big of a part of the offense he's been. But talk to me about Parker and Jasicki. Parker had 13 targets going four for 46. Jasicki had seven targets as well uh, going four for 51. 
Yeah, and it seemed like, uh, judging by the average depth of target for both Parker and Gesicki, they were running some of the same routes that Jalen Waddle typically runs. I and mean, we saw uh, Parker going across the middle of the field, Gesicki also, Durham Smythe was also getting involved. I mean, most of their catches, it's not like they were, uh, it's not like Tua was taking shots to the perimeter. It's not like Tua was taking shots downfield or throwing those seam balls that we would see for either tight ends or other players on other teams. I mean, they were essentially like routes or targets in the same area of the field that we would typically see Waddle at. So again, it was just very confusing to see them now. I get trying to involve the other players like in your like in your passing tree. Totally understand that. But when Waddle was the one that had not just the ability to catch the ball, but also create those yards after the catch, which we typically don't see from Devontae Parker. We typically don't see that from Mike Isecki as well. So seeing that type of, I guess, disbursement or I guess going away from Jalen Waddle was something of a surprise. Uh, so that's why we really didn't see a lot of uh, yardage generated for Tua because we just weren't really seeing anything created afterwards. That makes sense. Uh, what about the backfield just in terms of the split? Because, you know, we had seen it devolve into a three-way split last week. Was that what we saw here again? It kind of looks from the box score like uh, it was a three-man committee. It was a three-man committee like if you look at the box score. But starting off, I mean, Duke Johnson wound up starting the game. He was the one that was getting more of the consistent usage on early downs. Also, once they got into like passing mode, like he was also the one that was being used there as well. So I would say that if I were to look at how their usage would be moving forward, I do believe that they were actually uh, taken out of playoff contention now uh, after the last uh, the last games or the afternoon games. But still, I mean, Duke Johnson, I would assume, would be the one that they would try and lean on a bit more like in week 18. But who knows what's what they're going to do now as they're headed into the offseason. I would expect a number of personnel moves to be made uh, after their final regular season game. But it did seem like Duke Johnson was the more successful runner. He was definitely more efficient uh, than Miles Gaskin because any time that you would see any running back burst up the middle or any running back get a long gain or a chunk gain more than four to five yards, it was Duke Johnson uh, picking up most of those. Now, while Miles Gaskin was able to take a couple of dump offs for seven, eight, nine yards, I mean, overall, I think Duke Johnson proved to be the more efficient runner. And I expect him to continue to get those carries moving forward. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, on the other side, with the backfield for the Titans, it had been kind of a committee as well. Deontay Foreman looked like maybe his grip on the backfield was slipping heading into this week, but he had 26 carries here going for 132 yards and a touchdown. Dontrell Hoyard also scored a touchdown. He had 45 yards on eight carries. Jeremy McNichols, though, not all that involved with just two carries for 14 yards. So, like, were they just kind of leaning on Foreman to close this out? Was he helping them get the lead in the first place? How did this usage break out between him and Hilliard? It was Foreman early, often, and throughout most of the game. Hilliard's touchdown actually didn't come until essentially that game was well in hand by the Titans. I mean, it was Foreman on base downs for the most part. I think uh, in earlier in the game, in the first and second quarter, we saw something of a split between Foreman and Hilliard on base downs. But then after we saw uh, Foreman start to get going in terms of being a, a being a more efficient runner, getting some of those chunk gains, to be quite honest, uh, once they got into the late second quarter, early third quarter, they were starting to use uh, Foreman in similar ways that they were using Derrick Henry. Uh, Donta Foreman, he actually got a direct snap that wound up going for about 20 to 25 yards. I mean, seeing him also used there, like once they got into the red zone, I mean, they were essentially trying to use him in the same way that they'd use Derrick Henry, which was, I mean, which is a good thing. Absolutely. I mean, if, the, especially if their hopes are to get Derrick Henry back, once they get into the playoffs, they won't have to change their offense in order to get their best player back. But once 
Foreman got going as a runner. We saw him eclipse 100 yards yet again. Uh, it was essentially his backfield afterwards. And then, like I was saying, once the game was well in hand, I mean, there was no chance for the Dolphins to get back. That's when we started to see more of Dontra Hilliard. And then he puts the dagger in the Dolphins' season by wind up getting a touchdown as well. So I would consider Foreman to be the RB1 for the Titans. Hilliard, McNichols, all those other guys are just role players. You can see them maybe mixed in on two-minute drills, maybe passing situations, but Foreman is the guy for the Titans. A.J. Brown, obviously the guy in the passing game, but only 18 passing attempts for Ryan Tannehill here. I mean, just not much going through the air. A.J. Brown with two for 41 on five targets. Right. And if your running game is doing so well, especially against a Dolphins defense that had been fairly limiting uh, towards opposing running backs over the past few weeks. But if you're if your offense is capable of putting that much production like down on the ground, they're capable of also scoring. I mean, even Ryan Tannehill was getting involved, uh, sneaking past uh, the Dolphins' uh, defensive front on a number of key third-down conversions. I mean, if that's really all it takes in order to get your opponent to roll over, and you can put and you can create a two-three score lead, then there really isn't much to be said, or you're not really asking much out of your passing offense afterwards. That's why we see such an anemic volume, or at least a number of anemic pass attempts, like for uh, for the Titans. It doesn't really have to do anything, uh, do anything else, especially with also like Michael Pruitt. He winds up going down with a really nasty uh, ankle injury afterwards. I mean, at, really for them already being down Julio Jones, already being like injured uh, along their offensive front, it really was just a here, let's just go ahead and let's finish this game off. Let's get everybody, as many players out as possible, healthy that we, uh, we possibly can. And it looks like they wound up executing that to perfection. The Seahawks, who defeated the Lions 51-29. to Another blowout here, but at least uh, more scoring on the Lions' side. Although this was a game where DeAndre Swift had just four carries after Dan Campbell was literally giddy talking about how fresh DeAndre Swift looked in practice, but he fell flat here. Yeah, that was the wild part. And I was expecting to come in just like everybody else. I mean, I'd seen the clips, read the articles, seen the blurbs talking like Dan Campbell. I mean, essentially being like like you were just saying, like giddy about the fact that they were going to have DeAndre Swift back. I'd had a number of conversations with folks coming into the game expecting DeAndre Swift to get 10, 15, 20 touches. Because if you were thinking about the number of pass catchers that Detroit wasn't going to have for this game, I mean, outside of Amon Ross St. Brown, who else could Tim Boyle really rely on from a passing perspective? So, of course, all of that kind of lent itself to DeAndre Swift having a larger part in that offense, even though we really hadn't seen him in the past month or so. But we get rug pulled like by Dan Campbell where it's Jamal Williams that starts the game. And then we don't really don't see it. It's between him. It's Craig Reynolds getting mixed in. Don't really see Deandre Swift until after their first or second series. And then even after that, he comes in for maybe a snap and then he gets subbed out. He gets a touch and then he gets subbed out. So it was just a, a very erratic usage for DeAndre Swift. And I guess I understand from a big picture standpoint that they would want to limit the amount of usage for one of the best players that's on their offense and part of their future, I'm assuming, or he has to be. But after all the discussion, after the, all the press conference talk like from Dan Campbell, it really was something of a shock to see Swift come in there and only get about seven or eight touches. Yeah, and you, know, you mentioned Jamal Williams uh, – from what I saw when they were on the goal line, they were leaning on Jamal Williams. Uh, he did have a rushing touchdown. Amon Ross St. Brown actually did as well, which we'll get to. But, uh, you know, that was kind of a part of the secret to DeAndre Swift's uh, success this year is that he was getting used as a receiver. He was a committee rusher, 
but he was getting used around the goal line. So that that's definitely disappointing, um, you know, in, in addition to the small workload overall. Yeah, exactly. And there were a couple of series where once they got into the red zone, uh, Swift wound up switching in for Jamal Williams. He would get maybe a carry and it actually looked like I think they were at the one or two yard line and Swift looked like he got in. He probably got like it was down like the one inch wound up not getting there. There was another play where he uh, where he actually tried to dive into the end zone, got flipped up, landed on his back. And after that, I don't really think he wound up getting another touch within the red zone shortly thereafter. So again, I think it was more of a preservation type of move like from uh, from Dan Campbell, wanted to make sure that Swift winds up making it through this game healthy. But man, I wish we would have known that beforehand because it would have made things <laughs> a lot easier for fantasy managers afterwards. Yes, it would have. Uh, let's talk Amon Ross St. Brown, who... Uh, is on just an absolute tear and now on a two game stretch without Jared Goff, where he's playing really well. He had 11 targets in this game going eight for 111 and a touchdown through the air. He also had two carries for 23 yards and a rushing touchdown, just a really big game from a guy who's having a really big month and a half. Yeah, and it's not just the fact that he's getting used on shorter dot passes or getting involved in screen games. It's great that he can create on his own, but, I mean, the dude can play. I mean, when I say that, on his rushing touchdown, he was actually met about five, six yards downfield, broke a tackle, and then runs into the end zone for his, like, 20 or 21-yard, like, rushing touchdown. And then on a number of catches, uh, he was he was the one that was being called upon on third downs in order to move the chains. I mean, he was take, he was making a lot of those, I guess, tough catches. And for a guy of his size, I mean, seeing him being able to rise up to that challenge, I mean, it really does kind of speak to the fact that Amon Ross St. Brown, he's not just a gadget player. He's not just a slot receiver. I mean, the fact that they're using him in these creative ways, I mean, motioning him into the backfield or using him as a rusher, I mean, using him as a deep threat as well. I mean, I'm really excited to see, like, what's going to happen in year two for this entire offense. But I think Amon Ross St. Brown – DeAndre Swift, I mean, they have to be the focal points of that offense. I'm really excited to see what they've got coming next year. Yeah, me too. I'm also excited to see what's going to happen with Russell Wilson, who uh, may have just played his uh, his last career home game as a Seahawk. Uh, obviously gets the, the big win here, 51 points. Uh, he had, uh, he had uh, 236 yards and four touchdowns in this game. So really nice game. Went to uh, Freddie Swain as his leading receiver, but DK Metcalf connected with uh, with Russell Wilson for three touchdowns. So, hell of a way to go out. Plus, Tyler Lockett also had a, a fourth touchdown from Wilson. What, what did you see from Russell Wilson in this game? So, really, I mean, does it was great to see like Russ Wilson actually be the quarterback one that we expected him to be from a box score perspective, but really that Seattle offense, I mean, that was powered by Rashad Penny. I mean, the dude had, I mean, almost, I think close to a hundred yards. I mean, just even, like he had 74 yards in the first quarter and over a hundred yards before they even got to the end of the first half. I mean, and they weren't just all on, I mean, chunk yards. I mean, he did have, I mean, 25, 30-yard runs. I mean, multiple, like, chunk gains. But he's also grinding through, like, breaking multiple tackles and churning out five, six-yard runs on first down, which wound up setting up easier play calls for them to extend drives. So I think that while Russell Wilson was the, I mean, he is the QB1, like, for that team, obviously, and with four touchdowns, absolutely. But at least the two of DK Metcalf's touchdowns were shorter touchdowns. I mean, it wasn't like he was being asked to at least chuck the ball down the field. I think there was only one or two plays, the one to Swain, and then there was another pass to Tyler Lockett that were actually like 20, 30 yards, almost vintage Russell Wilson types of plays. 
But outside of that, it really was uh, Rashad Penny essentially becoming, uh, and I hate to throw this term around. I know folks have been talking about it quite a bit over the last week or so, but Penny being a league winner, I mean, that really does, like, he really should enter the conversation given his, given his play and also given how much production he's put up in such a short period of time at such a critical point in the fantasy season. It has to be noted that Penny really essentially coming off the bench for a lot of for a lot of fantasy managers and putting out this type of performance at this point in the season, huge, huge win for a lot of folks, for sure. There's some sort of Twitter conversations that literally lull me to sleep instead of fire me up. That was one of them. I, I, I honestly <laughs> yeah. the, put my eyes glazed over, so I never really engaged with it. But if a guy scores, uh, if a guy scores two touchdowns and has 170 yards in week in, in the championship game, uh, what used to be week 16, but now week 17. Yeah, you're a league winner. That's isn't that literally the definition of the term? So I would think uh, so. I think we can throw that out for <laughs> for Rashad Penny. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I mean, I guess the big question here is is where Russell Wilson's going to be next year. But we can talk about that more next week. But yeah, Chris Allen, thanks so much. Anytime. The Raiders defeated the Colts 23 to 20. The Colts got Jonathan Taylor to 100 yards, but somehow it didn't lead to a win, Patrick Darty. I know, yeah, the MVP case, that's on ice now, I think. It's a real, real shame. I think We thought he had it locked up. All the analytics folks have been touting him all year for the MVP. I don't know why I'm going into such a dripping with sarcasm. Uh, they, they lost, but it was not because of Taylor. It was his 10th 100-yard rushing effort of the season. It was his seventh in his past eight games. He did the best to put his off, the offense on his back as Carson Wentz just flat out stunk at one completion going into their final drive of the first half. Wow. Where he, yeah, one completion like the first like 28 minutes of the game. And they were playing prevent defense to end the first half. So then he, he reeled off like four or five completions in their final drive of the first half. Jonathan Taylor capped it off with the one yard touchdown with one second remaining. That's how little faith they had in Wentz. That they were out of timeouts and just ran him. It's like we need to score, and Jonathan Taylor's like a hundred times better than Carson Wentz. Uh, I actually think that was probably like analytically sound. I'm sure it was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not even kidding. It almost certainly was. Like <laughs> what they needed. Like if you don't get it, you don't get it. But we know you're not getting it with Carson. It's Wentz. like three. You know, you have like three ten percent chances or like one seventy. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. a really, really good point, actually. See, so, yeah, I mean, Frank Reich's the analytics god. Um, and I know we're talking about Jonathan Taylor, but uh, I mean, Carson Winston, man, he had a 45 yard touchdown to T.Y. Hilton that a lot of listeners have probably seen by now that in reality was actually a Carson Wentz interception, but the Raiders, it was the classic. They broke up their own pick, the two Raiders DBs mm. that he threw it directly to just bumped into each other and the ball went up in the air and then T.Y. Hilton was just standing in the end zone and caught it. And then like the ball, not lying, uh, T.Y. Hilton was open for a 78-yard touchdown in the fourth quarter, and Carson Wentz just flat out missed him. And it was just a pathetic performance. And I mean, I feel bad saying that word, actually, but especially for a guy who was on the COVID list during the week. But, man, someone who has not looked good in the second half of the season was just missing throws over and over again on Sunday and Carson Wentz. Mm. Anything else to say on the Colts side? Uh, I mean, Jack Doyle, zero catches, so he's gone again. Remember when he, like, briefly reemerged? Uh, he's yep. gone. Michael Pittman, I think it was his eighth – no, it was, like, like his tenth straight game without 100 yards. It's, like, seventh or eighth straight game without a touchdown. Just all he's, he's turned into a cheap compiler in this offense because there's nothing going. 
downfield mm. with Carson Wentz, you know, Naheem Hines, you know, very getting very limited change up work lately. It's just all about Jonathan Taylor trying to put the team on his back and largely succeeding, you know, not enough to deserve an MVP award, but definitely, you know, like probably the non quarterback offensive player of the year. And if they, if they win a playoff game, so first off, if they clinch the playoff berth, which they should with a win over the Jaguars in week 18, if they win a playoff game, it is going to be because Jonathan Taylor was the rare running back to put the team on his back. Yep. On the Raiders side, you know, they've been playing these kind of these deep threats like Zay Jones and Deshaun Jackson. Boy, have they been playing Zay Jones. Yeah. Zay Jones. It's like, what what are you guys doing here? Well, maybe they were right because he goes 10 targets, eight receptions, and 120 yards here. Zay Jones blowing up. Yeah. He's out targeted Hunter Renfro three games in a row, which I would not have thought would be mathematically possible just with the way Hunter Renfro vacuums up targets but the eight catches matched his career high the 100 yard effort was the first of his career you know five seasons he had never had a 100 yard game Derek Carr just keeps going there over and over and over again and it results in a few low quality targets one was a really bad Derek Carr interception you know Zay Jones isn't like operating in like the most space in the world he's not like he is what he is he's like a solid NFLer but he's like a replacement level NFLer basically you know, but yeah. they've somehow it's almost like they've they're working, it's almost like they're using the games like practice, like they're working on their connection so much <laughs> that it's finally starting to work. Cause you like a lot of times the first half of the season, it'd be like a pretty recurrent Twitter motif, like oh, man, just yet another worthless Zay Jones target for some reason from the Raiders. But it's like they just kept hammering it and hammering and hammering it. And now I really have actually struck up an actual connection the past three or four games, and it was an absolute necessity for this offense. You know, Deshaun Jackson is not, can't be an every down player at this point. He can barely be like a 50% player at this point. Brian Edwards, seemingly just not good. Darren Waller, not playing. It's like they had to have someone other than Hunter Infro who could actually handle a, a large target share. And Zay Jones, to his credit, had, he has stepped up and done it the past month. Yeah. And Hunter Renfro here uh, did get to a thousand yards this season. He went seven for 76 and one touchdown, one catch away from 100 on the year. It's having a really nice year. Uh, and basically after those two, there wasn't really much going on in the passing game. Probably should have mentioned in his blurb that he reached 1,000 yards. I uh, didn't do that. Uh, he had a touchdown, a 10-yard, 11-yard touchdown for Hunter Renfro. Really good play. He's getting hooked. And he just shook it off, got free in the end zone, scored. And I had to start Hunter Renfro in my home season-long league, which is points only. It goes through the playoffs. It's a long story. I've kind of tried to explain it to you before. And it's a distance scoring league. And Hunter Renfro I want to try this. I'm, I'm very, very intrigued by this. you got to try it. Maybe we should start an NBC Sports Edge league. Uh, and he appeared to have a game, not icing, but he appeared to have a 48-yard touchdown in the dying moments of the game. But the defender, so his knee touched the ground, and the defender, he got up – He he was able to get up and continue running, but the defender got like literally a finger on his shoe. And what had been a 48 yard touchdown was reversed to only a 24 yard catch. And so he almost had a seven catch hundred yard, two touchdown day, but by literally a fingertip, it was seven catches, 76 yards and one touchdown. So he had a really solid fantasy day, Hunter Renfro, but he almost had like a top five or six fantasy day. And it was like a true game of inches moment where he was so close to having this monster play and like a matchup flipping type performance in fantasy finals. I had saw that and didn't realize that it'd come back. 
Uh, yeah, it's a real shame. <laughs> <laughs> real, real shame. Um, let's talk about Josh Jacobs uh, before we move to the next game. Uh, he had 63 yards on the ground and a touchdown. He also caught four balls for 17 yards. It was a pretty tough rushing matchup. He only had 3.9 yards per carry, but got in the end zone. Tough rushing matchup and a really like tough, I mean, I hate to say it, but gritty performance from Josh Jacobs, who got his ribs like blasted in the first quarter and was wincing after every touch in the first quarter. Then he, he finally left the game. He was announced officially with the ribs issue. Must have gone into the locker room and got like a flak jacket or something because he did return in the second quarter. Seated only, quote-unquote, eight touches to Peyton Barber. That was Peyton Barber's biggest workload since September, but Jacob's like clearly in a lot of pain uh, out there for 20 touches and you know another solid day. His touchdown was before the rib injury. He made a really nice jump cut on his touchdown in the first quarter. But, yeah, I mean, like a real – for a guy, you know, though, who's, he's so physical, he's always getting banged up. So I guess that's a negative, but the positive was that he played through it. And yeah, like they probably wouldn't have won the game without him. The weapons are just so limited right now. So a very uh, gutty, gritty performance by Mr. Josh that's Jacobs. What, that's what winners do, you know? Yeah, Play analytics, for. man. Analytics. He, Josh Jacobs is a big, big believer in analytics. That's nice. Let's move to the 49ers who defeated the Texans 23-7. to They got this win that now clinches a winning season for them, puts them in position to potentially make the playoffs. But they did it without Jimmy Garoppolo, Trey Lance here going 16 for 23 on two with 249 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception. So we liked the 45-yard touchdown to Debo Samuel, but it was emblematic of Trey Lance's day where he was kind of making plays, but he was also so close to leaving meat on the bone. It was a cross-field pass. It was a rollout and then designed cross-field pass to Debo Samuel, and he just really undercooked it, underthrew it. But this being Debo Samuel, he tracked it down. And with his yak skills, still managed to cash it in. So he was Trey Lance. Just, just you can see why he hasn't been starting, basically. Mm-hmm. But you can also see the tools. And so the two touchdowns, the two passing touchdowns, fantasy managers will take that. It's not gonna like sink your effort if you were starting. But he almost had like the type of like QB one day we were looking for. He had a rushing touchdown in the fourth quarter. Trey Lance was called back by Brandon Ayuk holding penalty. So just kind of like a day of like what might have been with Trey Lance, like rookie growing pains. But he also – he did look better than he looked in week five. He didn't rush nearly as much. Then he only had eight carries compared to 16 in week five. But definitely looked like he has progressed in those intervening two months, but also definitely still has a long way to go. And if Jimmy Garoppolo is healthy for week 18, uh, he will for sure be out there against the Rams. Okay, that, that's good to know. Uh, what about Elijah Mitchell, who had a pretty nice day on the ground coming back from injury here? Seems like they were very willing to lean on him as the uh, the lead running back. <laughs> Literally not another running back yes. log to rush. Yeah, so we went from you know probably going to be on a snap count via the coach himself to Elijah Mitchell out-touching Jeff Wilson 23-0. to zero. And so- Yeah, but Kyle Shanahan really enjoys a lie. He does. He he really, really, really. No one enjoys a football lie more than Kyle Shanahan. Jeff Wilson, if you go to the box score, you do control F. He did have a special teams tackle. So that's probably a really big play by Jeff Wilson. But It was yeah. an important moment that they knew to make sure Jeff Wilson was available for. Yes. Exactly. And, you know, maybe that would have been borne out, but the Texans were, like, very spunky in the first half. We're actually leading 7-3 to three at halftime. So 
maybe it wasn't a lie. Maybe Kyle Shanahan truly believed it. Like the second it became a competitive game, that just went out the window. And understandably so, because Elijah Mitchell looked no worse for the wear after missing a month. He had his side-to-side lateral agility back. He was getting the edge. He was extending runs. He looked really, really good. And the only guys he seeded carries to were Trey Lance and then the change of pace, quote-unquote, back Debo Samuel. And provided he avoided any setbacks, which he did not appear to suffer a setback, it's going to be the same thing for the must-win game in Week 18. And Jeff Wilson uh, will not be a DFS consideration. Any thoughts on Kittle before we move to the Texan side? He only had one catch for 29 yards here, had a quiet game last week as well. Yeah, it's quiet games now with two different quarterbacks. And Trey Lance, though, is probably feeling like, well, maybe should have targeted him more because his catch was near the end of the game and he was being blatantly interfered with. And this made one of those grabs that, like, you know, I guess other players can make it, but it felt like an only George Kittle can make this type of catch just so strong, just so strong through the tackle, so strong, such strong hands. And yeah, Trey Lance probably would have been well served by targeting him more, but I'm sure, you know, I'm not Mr. Film watcher. I'm sure that George Kittle's run blocking was a huge deal on the day where the 49ers rushed 37 times, attempted only 23 passes. Uh, but George Kittle, he, he would probably do well to have Jimmy Garoppolo back for week 18, need a little more of a balanced game plan. Yeah, before last week with Jimmy, they had been you know, on a heater together and you would still be able to trust George Kittle as a guy who, who could go nuts. And, you know, what is the biggest game of the season for the 49ers next week? Yeah, it's interesting that uh, Trey Lance was starting Brandon Ayuk so much. You know, if you're trying to win the starting job, maybe uh, maybe target George Kittle and not the guy who just spent the first half of the season in the doghouse. So yeah, not the guy just, who cost you your rushing touchdown with the penalty. Um, so that was late in the game. So that was kind of like no good deed goes unpunished. That was real late in the game where he cost <laughs> gotcha. him. This is what you get. He cost you your rushing touchdown, Trey. On the Texan side, Brandon Cooks led the way with 66 yards and a touchdown. He had seven receptions on 11 targets. Uh, that's pretty much the only interesting thing about the Texans passing game. And he kind of came through here. It was. And yeah, he had like kind of the ultimate, like beyond the box score game. Cause he had a good box score. Like you said, with seven sixty six one, but he had 55 yards in defensive pass interference penalties on back-to-back plays in the fourth quarter. He was interfered with both for over 20 yards. Then he had a 50 yard catch that was called back by Texans penalty. And so 66 yards, you know, that's nice. He had a wide receiver two day, you know, over a hundred yards and what might've been yards for Brandon cooks and yet nothing, no trickle down whatsoever. Davis mills has made like the very wise decision as a rookie to only lock on to Brandon cooks to his top weapon. And there was just nothing for Brevin Jordan, nothing for Nico Collins, you know, nothing, even like no couch cushion yardage. There weren't any DPIs or anything like that. They just weren't really involved. And Davis mills has like legit chemistry with Brandon Cooks, the touchdown was an eight-yarder with this like perfect ball placement in the end zone but between two defenders. Found in some really tough sideline targets too, between like the sideline and the defender, like kind of like high-level NFL quarterbacking stuff. And it was a tough day for Davis Mills. He was really harassed. He only took three official sacks, but the 49ers were really, really getting after him. And not, I mean, I'm starting to feel like getting into like film cliche quarterback apologist Twitter. But like he was, it was a positive performance for Davis Mills because it was the kind of day that would have gone off the rails for a lot of rookie quarterbacks. And it's not like he had an amazing day, but he was making uh, tough throws under tough circumstances. And you can kind of see why they're probably going to give him a chance to win the starting job in 2022. Interesting. Uh, Rex Burkhead uh, 
workhorse running back, 16 carries for 47 yards here. Didn't go off like he did last week against the Chargers, but uh, certainly led the backfield once again. Yeah, 22 touches, I think only seven or eight for Royce Freeman. Definitely to the point now where even if David Johnson gets off the COVID list for week 18 against the Titans, it's hard to see the commitment going away from Rex Burkhead. I mean, it's hard to see David Johnson even being ready for work. What even was it for COVID? His knee or his ankle? Some lower body injury. And he's just not going to be ready for work in week 18. Maybe more than like six to eight change of pace touches. But then, of course, we're not – Rex Burkhead, he's like the definition of like empty calorie, empty touch, hope and pray, RB3 flex. And that's not going to change for week 18 against the Titans. Although don't we have to figure out like motivation and stuff? The Texans are going to play. They're going to they're going to feed Burkhead. We know they're they're motivated to feed. I think the Titans. I mean, the Titans need to win. I believe to lock up the number one seed, and the NFL is going to schedule it. So you know they they schedule things so you don't know. Like they're they're going to schedule like the Chiefs and Titans at the same time, basically. Mm -hmm. And so I think the Titans, my early understanding, are going to have to try. Uh, (laughs) But you know it is the Texans, so maybe they only have to try for like a half. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Rex Burkhead, it'd still be tough to envision him as more than like a flex. And <laughs> I can't imagine you like loving your life if you use DFS and BKT. No, <laughs> I can't either. All right, Patrick Darty, thanks so much. Thank you, other Pat. The Eagles defeated Washington twenty to sixteen. The Eagles are now seven and two after starting the season two and five. They've held opponents to eighteen points or less in five straight games and. They will clinch a playoff spot with a Packers win tonight. You'll know when you listen to this if that happened or not. But Kyle Dvorak, how did the Eagles get the win here? I feel like facing Sean Mannion, although it actually didn't start too terribly, but I feel like facing Sean Mannion, we kind of know already what's going to happen in this game. Uh, This game felt, I would say going into it, knowing how awful Washington had looked just even most recently in Dallas, it looked pretty dire. It looked, you know, determined already, much like I joke about the Sean Mannion start. It wasn't, I guess, that bad. Washington actually came out pretty squirrely, took an early lead, and it took getting shut out in the second half entirely, I believe, and the Eagles putting something like 13 points on the board in the second half for the Eagles to come back. And even then, I mean, Taylor Heineke got to the, uh, you know, got to about the red zone, probably just a little bit behind the red zone, and then threw a pretty uh, awful interception. I think it was going to John Bates, and he kind of just sailed it, safety sitting over top, picked it off. So it, like... It was an acceptable game from a team that is still missing a lot of players because of COVID. Wasn't like awfully talented to begin the year and has lost, you know, a long time ago, lost their starting quarterback now when Heineke is the backup. But it's just what you expect from them. Really, the only bright spot was Jared Patterson looked pretty, looked pretty spry. And not only did he look good, but he also had the role of a player in his position that we would like. Really not much of a threat from a, a Jonathan Williams or a Wendell Carter. He led the team in carries and he led the backfield in targets. So that was exciting. He got into the end zone as well, so you were rewarded with your faith if you were playing him. Outside of that, Terry McLaurin arguably got on track. 7 for 61 is getting on track for him, I guess, which just tells you where we're at. Yeah, that is uh, kind of where we're at here with Terry McLaurin. It reminds me a little bit of Brandon Cooks, but but Cooks has been actually having some decent games here. He's having these kind of, kinds of lines and then getting in the end zone is really what it is. Uh, yeah, Jarrett Patterson you mentioned had control of the backfield, 12 for 57 and a touchdown, had five targets, five for 41. Wendell Smallwood had three targets going two for 10. Jonathan Williams also had three targets going two for seven, but uh, Patterson well ahead in terms of carries. Wendell Smallwood had four. Jonathan Williams just had two. So that's that's definitely interesting, um, you know, if, uh, if Gibson's out again. But anything else to note on the Washington side before we go to the Eagles? 
I mean, Ricky Seals Jones went down with a really scary looking injury. He just, I believe he just like ran out of the back of the end zone, collided with the cameraman, had to be stretched off. Uh, cameraman was also hurt as well. So hope both are okay. I doubt we see Ricky Seals Jones for the finale. John Bates as an every down tight end, but the third stringer on a team led by a backup quarterback who seems to be struggling. If you're still playing week 18 is, I guess it used to be week 17. Week 18 is a very chaotic week. You can probably lock him into playing every snap. That's not nothing. Yep. All right. The Eagles side, Boston Scott was operating as a workhorse here with uh, Jordan Howard banged up, but uh, maybe workhorses is too strong a word. He had 14 rushes going 47 yards and two touchdowns, but Jordan Howard actually did have 11 carries going for 26 yards. I think if you looked at it, expected points, it might be workhorsey in the sense of easy players like DeAndre Swift or Aaron Jones, get the goal line work. They get the targets enjoy your carries between the twenties, whoever the backup happens to be. And that was the case here where Boston Scott, like he's been like this all year where he is completely disappearing for stretches. And then he scores touchdowns. I think the guy is just a good touchdown score. He is tiny too. He's like five, eight or something and weighs not that much more than I do. And I don't weigh a lot, but like he just has a nose for the end zone. He just looks like small, hard to tackle and smooth running between big offensive lineman scores twice here. And like I said, he got the money touches. He got those goal line touches. I believe his touchdowns were literally one and two yards out. And he also got all the backfield targets, or at least the bulk of the backfield targets, essentially. So I'm not sure if we see that hold this game. There was a report from, I think it was Jay Glazer before the game saying that Jordan Howard snaps or reps or whatever they wanted to call it would be limited. His touches would be monitored in this game coming in with what they just called a stinger. So maybe had he been healthy, we assume he'll be healthier next week. We see this paradigm shift. But if you were to project this going forward, that'd be like very live RB2 numbers from Scott because he gets the touches that matter. Yep. Thoughts on Jalen Hurts and the the passing game here? It was fine. I think the biggest uh, takeaway from me is we really have to start viewing Dallas Goddard as not like a a tight end one, but his team's wide receiver one over the past five weeks. I believe he's out-targeted Devon Smith 29 to 25. He just looks like he fits with Jalen Hurts' skill set better. Like He's just comfortable getting Dallas Goddard fed. And Dallas Goddard, incredibly athletic, really good after the catch. So that's no problem if this tight end happens to be your team's number one receiver. If your tight end is just the standard five yard dump off type of player, probably shouldn't be your top pass catcher. Dallas Goddard is much more than that. So he is truly an elite option. You're looking into next year. I like it's hard not to look at him as like a top five, six, seven type of tight end dynasty and redraft. So next week, obviously par for the course, he'll be a top six or seven tight end, but I think it's easy to say he will continue doing that, you know, in perpetuity. Yeah. I think he'll go right around where Andrews and uh, Hawkinson were going this year. And that, yeah. that feels about right if that's where he lands. And also interesting for playoff contests and stuff. I think this is one of the... That's true as well, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, any any thoughts on Smith in terms of his, his role in the offense? He's still the number one receiver, still playing the bulk of, if not like every snap. He easily outpaced the rest of the pass catchers. Uh, you know, outside of Boston Scott, no one... You know, Quez Watkins got four targets and that was it. Devonta Smith at six. So... He's perfectly fine to rely on as a wide receiver three slash four, but with how much this team has wanted to and has done successfully running the football, the second target on the team is going to be pretty hit or miss on a week-to-week basis. So Goddard's kind of the only one you can trust at this point. We've probably been at that point for weeks, though. All right, let's move to the Chargers, who defeated the Broncos 34-13. to Chargers now can clinch a playoff berth with a win versus the Raiders. What did you see on the Chargers side here where Justin Herbert had himself uh, a nice day going 237 yards and two touchdowns? 
Yeah, Herbert, like when you see him throw some of his deep balls, like he straight up looks like Russell Wilson, where you can just find a guy 40 yards down the field. I like having lived in spreadsheets all of my life. You don't really know how long 40 yards is, but you were, if you were to go out and measure it out, it's very far and he can just put it on a rope. His, uh, the last touchdown of the day, I believe his last touchdown of the day was a 45 yarder to Mike Williams. Mike Williams lays out for it beautifully, but like he does look at his peak, very Russell Wilson, Wilson, Wilsonian. I don't know if that's how you'd say it. Wilsonian. And the, yeah, well, yeah, something like that. And the team actually wants to support him to do that as opposed to Russell Wilson's team, which doesn't want him to throw more than 10 times in a game. So when this team like is challenged, obviously we know this, but when they're challenged by their opponents, they were not in this game. It's really exciting. And even the ancillary pieces, which Mike Williams is sort of stepping back into that like boom bust wide receiver four role. But even those guys are going to have massive ceilings and Justin Herbert's ceiling just as like a long-term NFL talent. Like it, it seems roughly as high as like, any non Mahomes player and with the way Mahomes is playing, I don't know. It's really tough. Like where would you rank him among players you want for the rest of the next decade? Top two or three feels like pretty right. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Uh, just because of ceiling, you know, he, he's been a little bit inconsistent this year, but when he, uh, when he's hitting it, it's so high. And he also said like his tools are just so enticing, you know? Yeah, he's got like a modest level of athleticism that we don't always have to see because when you can just throw 45 yard dimes, like you don't have to run that much. But he's like modestly athletic and has a really good arm. So, yeah, I don't need to tell anyone this, but Justin Herbert, he's freaking awesome. It was a a nice, nice refresher from the other side of the football. Yeah, uh, Mike Williams kind of got back on track here a little bit. Three for 63 and a touchdown. He had a long of 45. I assume that that was a touchdown. Yeah, that was a touchdown. It was late in the game, kind of iced it, although they were up 21 at that point. I think you weren't getting 21 fourth quarter points from Drew Locke. Yeah, before that, though, it would have been, you said, 63. So that's something like 28 yards, I think, Mm -hmm. on three targets. So I really feel like we're back at the point where he is high upside. But had you not caught that, I mean, you'd be looking at a completely worthless fantasy day. So much more risky than we kind of thought we were getting into after a hot start to the early part of the year. Keenan Allen also saved his day with a touchdown he had. One touchdown on nine targets, but only four for 44 overall. Yeah, not a big deal. He almost came down with a really sick, like, one-handed grab. Uh, They just weren't pushed that much. They were fine also getting there on the ground. They ran the ball, I think, more than they actually passed the ball in this game, and then threw a decent amount of their targets to 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 running backs, excuse me, as well. So not really surprising that you don't have any crazy games from the the wide receivers, but touchdowns save the day. Uh, Austin Eckler, let's touch on him. He Mm -hmm. had... 17 carries for 58 yards and a touchdown. He also had three targets, three receptions for 54 yards. Pretty nice day. Very nice. The interesting thing was that we saw a really good helping of Justin Jackson this game, more than we were seeing early in the year. I believe we saw a very similar split in the Chiefs game, which Austin Eckler was banged up in that game with like an ankle injury or something. And they chose, which makes a ton of sense, trying to get into a playoff push to split the backfield much more evenly than early in the year. It was, uh, let me see here, 12 carries, 41 yards from Justin Jackson. Nothing special, kind of a low yards per carry. But he actually looks pretty good with the football in his hands. Also, three for 20 through the air. So I think it's very possible. I mean, this could just be Austin Eckler coming back from the COVID uh, absence. We've seen a lot of players see their snaps kind of scaled back in that first game. But I I think given the way that Justin Jackson's playing, seeing uh, like a really good game versus Houston, a solid game versus the Chiefs before that, when he was splitting that work with Austin Eckler, it's very possible. And we've seen this throughout Eckler's career that they actually dedicate someone to be the RB2 who gets work. Whereas early in the year, they had no clue who that guy was. They were trying Kelly, Mm -hmm. Roundtree, Jackson. 
I think they found their guy. I'm not sure how much of a role that results in, but I think he's a really interesting stash. Uh, let's talk about the Denver side here. This was a very difficult position for Denver to be in because they did not have Jerry Judy or Tim Patrick. So we've got um, Seth Williams getting his first action of the season. We also have Kendall Hinton saw an increased role a little bit for Albert uh, Okuegbunam. And we saw Noah Fant kind of lead the way here with 92 yards and a touchdown. He had six receptions on seven targets. Cortland Sutton, the second leading receiver, he had 60 yards, uh, three receptions on five targets. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to even get excited about like the Fant rebound, right? Because as you point out, no Jerry Judy, no Tim Patrick. And the offense, like both Fant and especially Cortland Sutton, have seen their target shares understandably go through the roof whenever Jerry Judy, who's missed a few games much earlier in the year, it goes through the roof when he's not on the field. And then he's a target vacuum when he is. And he hasn't been like incredibly efficient this year because the offense hasn't been that efficient. So whenever he's in the lineup, it really just decreases the ceilings and the floors of everyone involved. It was nice to see Fant have a really good game. He looked good. But once they get, I'm assuming, you know, these COVID absences aren't very long. Once they get Tim Patrick and, and Jerry Judy back, you can't even expect this, uh, you know, seven target type of performance. So it was nice. It makes me optimistic that assuming they get a new quarterback in the next year, that he will rebound perfectly once the offense is humming. But taking this into week 18, if you're playing in week 18 DFS, or, you know, unfortunately you have a season long league going in week 18, I'm probably still going to rank him as a tight end too. And I do my rankings. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams. Cause if we're going into week 18, like Denver doesn't really have anything to play for. You would think maybe they'd see what they have. A little bit more out of the rookie, but we know they're we can't. We do can't that. keep doing this. We can't. We're gonna. This. They're just gonna play Melvin Gordon. I saw him giving Melvin Gordon goal line touches. What's yeah. going on? I mean, the thing is, in this game, Javante did out carry Melvin Gordon, but unfortunately, he was actually much less efficient. Efficient ran for like two yards per carry, so it wasn't really anything to write home about. Small he, sample size. Yeah, yeah. No, he's better. I'm not. He's better, dude. Like you don't have to tell me that the <laughs> sample size is meaningless. We have the sample size. It's of always a small sample size with him. No, no, no. Uh, the full the full season, it's a great sample size. If, anytime sure. you argue that Melvin Gordon is better, that one is the small sample. I, I don't think anyone's making that argument. But no, I mean, I feel like the thing is, like, they, they honestly don't need to see what they have in Javante. We know what they have. We have seen it. It's Everyone true. has seen it. He is massively more efficient. He breaks tackles and gets long runs at a much higher rate than Melvin Gordon is perfectly fine i have no like he's played fine this year but javante is explosive and he's a good pass catcher too they they have a, a full season of film on it well you know they don't need the extra game maybe they use it but i'd be shocked if anything splits next week and technically they are I, they might not be eliminated from the playoffs i think they're one of the teams that are uh you know this win this loss this win this tie this tie yeah. type of thing maybe that's changed since uh you know i started writing up this game but as far as i remember they might still technically not be eliminated, which is just another reason to give Melvin Gordon 15 touches. All right. I don't know why I ended on there. Now I'm sad, but uh, Kyle, thanks so much. You know. <laughs> no, no problem. We, Nick, we're, we're, I'm sure we're just a season away from Javante Williams season. <laughs> Melvin Gordon's a free agent after the year. You know, get that, get that contract, man. Get not somewhere else. <laughs> well, they're <laughs> they're going to trade for Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers, And those players have big contracts and they couldn't afford to bring Melvin Gordon back. And Melvin Gordon deserves to get paid. Cause he frankly has been yes, like, he's solid this year. so yeah, he's actually been pretty solid. Him. Yeah, no, he has. We, we love to see him get paid. Um, I don't know, in Houston. Houston sounds great. <laughs> the Rams defeated the Ravens 20-19. to 19. This is a game where Cooper Cup broke Isaac Bruce's single-season receiving record, but Matthew Stafford threw his NFL-leading 
fourth pick six of the season. Denny Carter, kind of a tale of two games in a way for the Rams who get the win, but it kind of feels like they lost. It was ugly. It was it was a really ugly win. Uh, Stafford ended up with an okay stat line, 309 yards, uh, two touchdowns, two picks. Um, you know, he threw the pick six, and then like three minutes later, he almost threw another pick six. So uh, he really keeps doing that thing where he throws <laughs> – interceptions for touchdowns he should try not to do that going forward uh um yeah they got the the record for for cup who you know had a somewhat muted day for his standards six catches for 95 yards uh, actually tyler higby out targeted him uh, tyler higby out targeted out targeted all the rams nine nine targets led the team uh today uh, of course the ravens one of the uh you know most generous teams to tight end so maybe that's not the biggest shock here I mean, it's a pretty big shock that Tyler Higby uh, led the team in targets. I certainly didn't predict that. Uh, Odo Beckham got in the end zone here, saving his day. He went five for 39 on seven targets. Van Jefferson went four for 63 on five targets. Uh, Thoughts on those guys? Yeah. uh, You know, Jefferson looks like the better downfield bet. I know you mentioned in your Friday walkthrough column that uh, Odell's running kind of cold lately and uh, that, Continued here, you know, the, the yardage totals for Beckham are pretty meager of late. Mm-hmm. Um, he he has back-to-back games. He saved his day with a touchdown, um, but still, even with the touchdown, it wasn't it wasn't like a fantastic uh, outing for him. It, it was the game winner. So, in a real football sense, I think Beckham is making a, a big difference for LA. But uh, fantasy-wise, man, it's uh, it's been very frustrating. Uh, you know, using him in DFS or or season-long leagues. Yeah, it has. Uh, Sony Michelle had a nice uh, game here. Uh, not a huge game, but he did get uh, in the end zone. He had 74 yards mm-hmm. on 19 rushes. He had 25 yards as well through the air. Five receptions on five tar- or three receptions on five targets. Yeah, you know it was another you know 90 percent plus uh, snap share for Michelle with uh, Henderson on IR and and Cam Akers still a week away from returning to the lineup. Uh, 22 touches here. It, it, it's a bad matchup against a really stiff Baltimore front seven, but um, you know he got it done with the touchdown. We we talked about Michelle on the on the pregame uh, show today, and uh, and Kyle Dvorak, you know, said you you still got to play Sony Michelle just because of the uh, you know the locked in touches. I don't know, you know, he doesn't have that going forward. Probably not that 20 plus touch upside uh, if Cam Akers is going to be back. Um, although I, I would I would suspect or I would guess that they'll you know ease in Acres um, and and have Michelle still take the bulk of the carries uh, in Week 18. Yeah, I would I would think that'd be the case for Week 18. The playoffs would be definitely very interesting yeah. about how that splits out. Uh, on the Ravens side, Tyler Huntley filling in here again. He had 197 yards passing, zero touchdowns. The other had six, uh, 54 rushing yards on six attempts though. Yeah, he had a long rush of 17 yards. You know, that helped. The 54 yards made it so that it wasn't a, a totally disastrous day for him. But I, I think you saw the difference um, in in the in the matchup here. Uh, he played against a Rams defense that, honestly, especially in the second half of the season, has been way better than the Packers defense that he scorched a couple weeks ago, uh, both on the ground and through the air. Um, the, the, the Rams really... Shaded coverage toward Mark Andrews uh, largely took away, you know, uh, deep balls for Marquise Brown, deep balls for everybody, honestly, for for the Ravens. 
uh, and that really limited Tyler Huntley, who uh, seemed a little bit lost at times against Aaron Donald in that pass rush, and then Jalen Ramsey and the uh, and and the secondary for the Rams. Ramsey, by the way, uh, was on Mark Andrews, uh, especially near mm-hmm. the goal line. Uh, so that that was a that was a big hit for Huntley, who we know likes to key in on Andrews. Yeah, and I'll I'll ask you about Rashad Bateman because he had ten targets here, going seven for fifty eight. But it sounds like that was kind of what was left over when yeah. the Rams took away the other guys. Yes, exactly. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, he saw ten targets. That was two more than uh, Marquise Brown. But you know, in in Huntley's starts and in his um, you know time under center for Baltimore this season, he really has looked to Bateman. Uh, you know, far more than Lamar Jackson has uh, in his time. So um, I, I I wasn't totally shocked by that. But, yeah, the Rams were basically saying, you're not going to beat us with Mark Andrews. Mm-hmm. It probably doesn't matter because we're, you know, the, I believe the Ravens are now not going to make the playoffs. But uh, Devonta Freeman did have 76 yards here, led the, led the team with 14 rushing attempts. Latavius Murray had 11, though, so it's still kind of that committee. Any thoughts on the backfield quickly? Yeah, it's it's kind of the same old thing, you know. Uh, Latavius comes in in the red zone, especially inside the ten. They they just seem to want to, you know, just pound him right into the middle of the line uh, on uh, you know first and goal, second and goal. The, the situations uh, Freeman usually comes out of the game, though not always, as we saw last week when he did manage a touchdown. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, Latavius is is not is not useful in fantasy and won't be next week. Um, but he just really is like a, uh, provides like a firm cap on Freeman's upside. Let's move to the Cardinals who defeated the Cowboys 25 to 22. Very good result for the Cardinals who end a three game losing streak. Very poor result for the Cowboys, especially because they lose Michael Gallup to a torn ACL. Yes. Uh, Gallup uh, hurt the ACL on a touchdown catch in the first half. Who's, Pretty much the only positive play for the Cowboys in the entire first half in what was kind of a sleepy offensive performance for Dallas. Um, I, you know, watching the play, you, you you couldn't tell how he hurt, he hurt the knee. It didn't look like he got his foot stuck in the ground or anything, but, you know, he did. Jerry Jones said after the game, Gallup is done for the season, so we can assume he will not return for the playoffs. Uh, Cedric Wilson slotted in as... Uh, the wide receiver three and three receiver sets for the Cowboys, as he did when Michael Gallup missed uh, seven weeks earlier this year. And uh, Cedric Wilson, you know, has been kind of weirdly productive and was again here. He caught six of six targets for 35 yards and a touchdown. Uh, the the touchdown came in the fourth quarter during, you know, when, when the uh, Cowboys went to frantic catch-up mode. Um, but, you know, Cedric Wilson is like, uh, you know, for DFS purposes, you know, the, probably the, the cheapest way to access uh, a good Cowboys offensive value. Now, are you going to get that next week against the Eagles? Uh, you know, who, who's to say right now? Are we going to get CeeDee Lamb doing anything against the Eagles? He only had <laughs> three for 51 here. Yeah, that's four straight, you know, sort of underwhelming outings for CeeDee Lamb. Uh, he has two touchdowns since week eight. Uh, and it, it really, it just, everything has dried up, uh, for lamb. And I, I really think that he's, you know, his usage is kind of maddening in that Cowboys mm-hmm. offense feels like he should be the centerpiece and mm-hmm. he's just, he's just another part of, they just treat him as like another guy. 
in, in the offense. I know you, you've you've touched on that in your Friday column, but man, it was just another game of that sort of usage. Yeah, and they keep it's kind of like uh, Lucy with the football type of thing, where like they keep like his routes will be up, and I'm like they're gonna they're gonna feature him, and then I don't know what his routes were this week, but they were probably too low. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Amari Cooper had three for 18 and a touchdown. Uh, another quiet game for him. But is your thought now moving forward that he would be, you know, just as likely to kind of be the centerpiece as Lamb with with Gallup out? Yeah, you know, he's he's consistently uh, out targeting CD Lamb. Uh, Dak Prescott seems to be more comfortable with Cooper, especially on you know like third and manageable situations. Uh, he, he just doesn't really look to lamb in, in those spots. Um, you know, Cooper w- was the squeaky wheel last week. He, he drew 11 targets. He was less squeaky in this one, um, but still saw seven targets. Uh, you know, he caught the touchdown, like, you know, very late in the game. It was almost like a who cares kind of touchdown. Uh, except I guess his, his fantasy managers, uh, uh cared. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it was, um, overall just uh, a really poor, day for for all the Dallas pass catchers including Cooper poor day for the backfield as well uh, Ezekiel Elliott only had 16 yards on nine carries Tony Pollard nine yards on three carries Pollard was productive as a receiver though he had three for 49 on five targets Elliott just had one for 14 on two targets I do want to note I saw Ezekiel Elliott burst through the line look like he was shot out of a cannon to the point that I thought that was it was Tony Pollard. Turns out it's Zeke Elliott, and it's a it was a play that was called back due to holding. So he yeah. did look pretty awesome on one run that I happened to see. But uh, but how did he look overall? Yeah, uh, he he. You're right. Actually, he did look explosive on that run. Overall, uh, I, he looked like the same guy like that he has been on the season. Uh, it just takes forever to, for him to get, get going. I, I I don't know what got into him on, on that one run. Of course, it didn't, <laughs> didn't even didn't even count. Uh, you know, but yeah, 16 yards on nine carries, and uh, um, you know, his second half carries. I think he he saw three second half carries, and all of them he was stuffed uh, at the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, he lost out on pass catching duties to Pollard. Uh, man, Elliot is is just basically like an absolutely touchdown dependent running back to uh, who, who now is, is very sensitive to game script. It's the worst of all worlds for him. He's uh he's the Spider-Man meme with Mike Davis. Yes. Yes. And, and he makes slightly more money than Mike Davis. <laughs> slightly. All right. Let's move to the Cardinal side here. Uh, Kyler Murray got two touchdowns here uh, throwing for 263 yards. Uh, Christian Kirk, connected with them a couple times. Um, I believe they had a, a very deep connection. He also hit AJ green deep. Mm-hmm. Neither of those were for touchdowns though. Antoine Wesley is the touchdown scorer here, as we all know. Yes. Yes. yes as we know, he, as I tweeted, uh, Antoine Wesley is the Cardinals franchise at this point. Um, <laughs> you know, he, Wesley does have a, a kind of a locked in role in the post Deandre Hopkins, Arizona offense. Um, you know, he's in there on uh, three wide receiver sets his his yardage, I don't think, is ever going to blow you away. You know, he only had 30 yards on four catches here, but uh, him and Zach Ertz really soak up a lot of those red zone targets and goal line targets from Kyler Murray. Um, so that can't be totally discounted. Although, you know, you can't quite pencil in Antoine Wesley for a touchdown every week. Um, 
yeah, Kirk uh, connected with Murray for a 43-yard gain in the first half. Uh, Kirk led the team with nine targets that tied with Zach Ertz. A.J. Green uh, had five of his six targets in the first half, sort of you know disappeared in the second half. Uh, his 42-yard catch in the first quarter uh, was you know set up a, a touchdown for the Cardinals. So uh, Green ca- kind of came out of nowhere. But Kirk was close on a couple downfield shots that could have gone for really long gains. Um, I, I have a I have a feeling that that we're gonna we're gonna get a blow up game sooner or later from Christian Kirk with DeAndre Hopkins out. That's exciting. Uh, what about Chase Edmonds, who was handling the the full backfield here with James Conner inactive? Yeah, I mean, you know, it was a bit of a letdown on on you know twenty three touches. Uh, for Edmonds, six targets, and, and he did didn't do much with it. Um, all of his green zone touches, you know, didn't go anywhere really. He wasn't he wasn't really close to a touchdown. Um, but yeah, I mean, he got the the workhorse role. He'll probably not get that anything close to that when James Conner returns, if he can return from that heel injury in Week 18. So th- this was uh, this was a situation where it felt like Edmonds, you know, in a really good game environment against Dallas, it really felt like he was in uh, maybe not a smash spot, but something something akin to a smash spot, and uh, he could only you know muster uh, what was it uh, fifty three uh, you know eighty fifty three yards on the ground and eighty two yards total. Yards. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, a little bit disappointing for sure, um, and and likely we'll get more Connor going forward. So. This was kind of like the the opportunity and it didn't quite materialize for him. Absolutely. Yes. All right, Denny Carter, thanks so much. Thank you. The Bears defeated the Giants 29 to 3. The Giants have now been held to under 13 points in six of their last seven games. That's not great. The Giants in this game finished with minus 10 net passing yards, almost breaking the record for least net passing yards in a game which is still held by the 1967 Broncos at minus 57. But Jack Miller is a little too close. It was. It was. Uh, and it was just a really interesting, uh, is how we'll put it, game plan. Basically, Mike Glennon had two turnovers on the Giants' first two drives, and the the Giants were down two possessions at that point. And then they just pretty much gave up on throwing. I think they had two pass attempts at halftime, uh, even though they were down 22-3 to three at halftime. Um, so they really leaned on the run and pretty much just tried to, it seemed like, just get through the game and let the clock hit triple zeros as, as quickly as they possibly could. Yeah, it's kind of uh, upsetting that this is how we get a decent Saquon Barkley game. He didn't score, but he had 102 yards on 21 rushes. He only had one target, did not record a reception. So decent may be a strong word, but it, it wasn't nothing. Uh, he did go over 100 yards at least. Um, but yeah, Mike Lennon, he only threw for 24 yards. The net, uh, passing yards, you know, includes those sacks, the sack yardage coming out of that. He took four sacks. So he actually on his dropbacks was producing negative yardage. So there's nothing really to say about the receiving game. Um, what did you see out of Saquon Barkley? How do you look out there? Cause Devontae Booker did also get 18 attempts for 46 yards. Yeah. Saquon looked good. I mean, uh, he like 102 yards is, and, and he looked good doing it too. But the Giants did mix Saquon and Booker a lot throughout the game. Maybe part of that is because they were just running it like literally every single play um, in the first three quarters. And then in the fourth quarter, they finally decided, you know, like might as well 
Lecklin and try to throw it a little bit. But yeah, both running backs were involved. There was a pretty even split um, when the game was still in the balance. And then Saquon was obviously a lot more effective with his touches. Yeah. Uh, let's move to the Bears side where Andy Dalton only threw for 173 yards, one touchdown, one interception. But you don't really need to throw a lot when the other team has decided that's something they're not going to be doing. Uh, so in that sense, pretty impressive game for Darnell Mooney, who had seven receptions, 69 yards, and one touchdown on 13 targets. Yeah, I mean, the Bears, even though they were up the whole game, uh, they still threw the ball 35 times. A lot of that was just because they had the ball so much and they had a high volume of plays in total. Um, but Mooney was the clear lead guy, uh, even with Allen Robinson back. Robinson played the majority of snaps. I don't know if I would say he had like a 100% full allotment of snaps, but he was definitely out there and, and did not appear limited in Mooney had 13 targets on 35 team pass attempts. He had a, a nice touchdown where he just pretty much dusted the the Giants cornerback right off the line of scrimmage, and then Dalton found him in the back of the end zone. So uh, Mooney was was one of the bright spots of this otherwise pretty uninteresting game. <laughs> David Montgomery, I guess, probably the biggest bright spot. He had two touchdowns on the ground, 64 yards rushing on 22 attempts. He also had two receptions for 17 yards on two targets. Yeah, I mean, the efficiency was not – great for uh montgomery but he did have the two touchdowns and uh he he had his usual role as the three down workhorse so i'm not going to take too much away from that lack of efficiency um he i mean the giants started with the ball and montgomery had a touchdown 15 seconds into the game and that was and (laughs) that just kind of dictated like how the game uh was gonna go yeah mike glennon's good for the opposing running back as it turns out yeah he is (laughs) all right jack miller appreciate it Yep, thank you. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Subscribe to NBC Sports Edge Plus and get every tool for every game. Fantasy, DFS, and betting premium tools are all included in one subscription at one low price. You can subscribe monthly or save 20% on an annual subscription. We've made it easier than ever with more tools than ever to play and wager with confidence with NBC Sports Edge Plus. We're headed down the backstretch of the NFL season, and the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet has you covered with Sunday Night 7. We're giving you a shot to win $1 million every Sunday night throughout the rest of the regular season. It's free and easy to play. So predict what will happen next week between the 49ers and Rams 
for a chance to win. Download today from your app store or visit NBCSports.com slash predictor. The Bengals defeated the Chiefs 34-31 to in a game where Jamar Chase broke the single-game rookie receiving record. Chase now has the most receiving touchdowns as a rookie since Randy Moss in 1998. Raymond Summerlin, this was a pretty outstanding showing for Jamar Chase, and it led to a very important win for the Bengals. So it was early in the game, and I was starting to think that this was going to be a runaway for the Chiefs. They were up... I believe it was 14 to nothing at the time. They were doing whatever they wanted. They were getting a lot of pressure on Burrow. In fact, that was something that happened all game long, which makes what Burrow and Chase and the rest of that passing game, what they were able to do even more impressive. And then he threw a simple out route to Chase. Chase made two guys miss, ran through the entire secondary, outran everybody the end zone, and suddenly uh, it was a ball game. And it from that point on, it was, it was really back and forth. You know, what's funny is, it didn't. It wasn't so high scoring in the second half. Only twenty points were scored in the second half, but that was because both teams were kind of putting together drives a little bit. Even when the Chiefs had to punt, they were putting together drives. Um, and so, you know, we maybe didn't even get as much out of Chase as we could have. But when they threw the ball to him, it was it was a catch. He caught eleven of twelve targets. Uh, a lot of those were contested catches over the top of cornerbacks. He the one pass that he didn't catch was just a great. Uh, break up by the cornerback and then I think two plays later he went over the same guy award for a touchdown like it was just he was out for blood it was he was unstoppable and there was nothing they were going to do about it and it was really a it was one of the most impressive receiving performances I've ever seen there have been lots of big days and to be fair one of his touchdowns they just forgot about him the one in the second half they just forgot about him but he was making plays all day on top of everybody and I mean hot take this guy he's pretty good (laughs) <laughs> that's not a hot take <laughs> i mean if you just look at the stat line like 12 targets 11 receptions 266 yards and three touchdowns it is off the charts it's it's unbelievable and you mentioned he set the single game uh receiving rookie receiver record i actually hadn't realized that he broke chad johnson's team record that day which um, you're in if you're in Bengals history with that guy, then you're doing you're mm-hmm. doing pretty good. So yeah, I mean, it was just it was an unbelievable performance. And what I really want to say about Burrow too, because Burrow's going to get lost in this. He threw for 446 and four. If you go back over Burrow's last two games, he has something like 971 yards and eight passing touchdowns, just an absurd number. Wow. And like I said, he was under pressure all game. By the end of the game, he didn't have the name on the back of his jersey because it had been like ripped off through the process wow. of the game. And so the fact that he was able to do this and, and really why he was able to do it is he kept give, giving opportunities to his guys. He gave opportunities to chase later in the second half. He was able to get Higgins involved and got Higgins involved uh, down the left sideline, which ended up in a, in a defensive pass interference. And then a long catch down the right sideline on the very next play, just one-on-one against these, against these cornerbacks going out and physically dominating them. And when you see that the Bengals have two of those guys, and they still have Tyler Boyd, who's a pretty good receiver in his own right. And they still have Joe Mixon, who's a pretty good running back in his own right. This is a very scary offense. They're obviously going into the playoffs now. We'll see what they're able to do there. But you think moving forward, if this offensive line gets better, like this is this is an offense you target in Dynasty because this could be one of the best offenses in the league moving forward. And it's really it was impressive to see that coming together in this game. Yeah, the only worry for me with this offense is that they it feels like they need to be pushed or they need to be in a, in a matchup where they they know they have to attack through the air. Kind of to your point about how this game started, you know, 
that they weren't kind of getting off to a, a really fast paced start, really pass heavy start until they kind of had to. But on the other hand, you see in this game, Burrow completely locked on to chase, but we're coming off a game where it was T Higgins and Tyler Boyd who just had the big game. So it's like, if you beat, if you, if you take away one guy, they go to the other guy. And then the other guy sets a rookie receiving record. And then if they want to just be run heavy, like they were randomly in the middle of the season, apparently Joe Mixon can go for 150 yards and two touchdowns too. So it's really the only, the only thing you worry about in this offense is the offensive line. They're going to have you know time to get that fixed. Um, but it's, it's impressive. All of these guys are young. You know, Mixon's a little bit old for running back, but other than that, um, it's you know it's really impressive. On the other side, you know, I think that this is going to go down as a disappointing loss for the Chiefs, and it is a disappointing loss. But I think what happened in the second half was they had two drives that didn't end up in points, and that was just too many to have. Um, the there were only three possessions in total for the Chiefs in the second half. The Bengals were able to go on long drives. The two punts that the Chiefs had in the second half, they weren't bad drives. They were both six-play drives. They just kind of ended, you know, they there was a, I believe there's a penalty on one that pulled back a third down. It just, they couldn't quite get to where they were going. And the Bengals were just at that point, you know, almost unstoppable. Uh, the final drive the Bengals put together uh, took over, took six minutes. Um, it was very wild at the end. They went for it on fourth down, two penalties. They went for it on fourth down again, another penalty that gave them a first down that allowed them to kneel it out. Brandon Allen to knee it out because Joe Burrow had hurt his knee, but apparently Joe Burrow is fine. Kneel it out and get the and get the win. And so Mahomes didn't get the ball again. But it wasn't like it was a bad game for Mahomes. Um, they were some missed opportunities. Tyreek Hill dropped a long pass. Patrick Mahomes went out at like the the half yard line that allowed set up a Daryl Williams touchdown. So you're going to look at all their fantasy days and think it was bad, but it, it wasn't really that bad of a performance. They just only had the ball three times in the second half, and the Bengals just went wild. Like that's kind of how the game worked out. Yeah. Thoughts on Daryl Williams and, and Derek Gore here uh, filling in for CEH uh, in the Chiefs backfield. Yeah, it was all Daryl Williams. Derek Gore had, I believe, three carries. He ended up with a long run on his first one, then had a semi-long run on his second carry. But that was it. It was Daryl Williams. It was the Daryl Williams show. And Daryl Williams wasn't doing much of anything early on. Like in the first quarter, he might have had three carries for you know ten yards or something like that. But then he got a short touchdown, and that seemed to really ignite that running game. He finished the first half with two scores. He scored twice in the second quarter, and then in the second half, he was able to get some chunk gains. Again, he's not getting a lot of carries because. The Chiefs didn't have the ball a ton, but he was able to get some chunk gains and he looked like what we expected him to look with Edwards Alaire out. And, you know, it's interesting that the Chiefs didn't rule Edwards Alaire out until Saturday, which suggests that maybe there's a chance he comes back for the finale. But I mean, he didn't practice all week. We don't really know. And so if Williams comes in again next week, I mean, hopefully you're not playing uh, in a fantasy, a season long fantasy game next week. Yeah. But if Williams, if, if Edwards Alaire is not back next week, then I mean, Williams plug him in in DFS lineups. He's, we know what he's going to be. And uh, he's been successful in that role. That's good to know. And then, you know, Patrick Mahomes has been kind of like in game manager mode to some extent. Was that your vibe here or was it more kind of, it could have been a bigger day if, if things had gone a bit differently? It wasn't at all. They had their foot on the gas. They they punted on their first possession, and then they scored four straight touchdowns. One of the two of those touchdowns were rushing touchdowns. Um, one of them probably should have been a Mahomes rushing touchdown. Like I said, he got pushed out just just inside the one, and so he looked like he was on his way to a big game. But they have two empty possessions to start the half. Then they have a field goal drive, and that was it. And they didn't see the ball again. So it was kind of one of those 
weird games that looked like he was on his way to a burrow s game maybe not 400 mm. you know 46 yards but he was going to top 300 he's going to have multiple scores and then it just it it didn't work out it stalled a bit in the second half and that was all she wrote with one last note here uh joe burrow i believe on the his last play of the game second to last play of the entire game left the field with an injury uh did you get did you hear anything about you know i like it didn't seem that serious, but what's the situation there? So he suffered a knee injury throwing a pass on fourth down that ended up uh, drawing a penalty, which gave the Bengals a first down, and allowed them to kneel it out. He had to go to the sideline. And so Brandon Allen actually took two knees to set up the, or a knee and then a spike to set up the game winning mm -hmm. field goal. But he was walking around on the field after the game, like, you know, in the, in the scrum saying, you know, hello to everybody after the game, he said his knee was fine. After his game, Zach Taylor said his knee is fine. So I'm operating under the assumption his knee's fine. You know, maybe they give him a little more maintenance. He did have a knee injury picked up earlier in the year. So it might've been, it seems like it was probably an aggravation of that. But he also came a pobbling in the second quarter. He took a big hit in the second quarter on the play that Quentin Spain actually got injured. He got knocked into Quentin Spain, and he kind of limped off but then came right back in. So I think it might just be something he's going to have to deal with for the rest of the year. Maybe he comes up limping a few times as they move on, but it seems like he's okay. All right. Awesome to have you on the pod. Thanks. The Buccaneers defeated the Jets 28-24. to A lot happened in this game, including quite a, a few marks for Tom Brady, he had his 53rd game-winning drive, ties Drew Brees for most all-time. He also now has back-to-back -back seasons in Tampa Bay with 40 passing touchdowns. He's also secured his 30th career win against the Jets, but that's not the story of this game, Reverse McCown. The story of this game is that Antonio Brown took off his pads, took off his shirt, took off his gloves, walked bare-chested into the locker room, giving the peace-out sign, and is no longer a Buccaneer. Yeah, I'm guessing he probably figured out that he was losing 28-14 to a team that targeted uh, Jeff Smith four times, and that was just an earth-shattering revelation that he couldn't get around anymore, um, and so we had to say goodbye. Yeah, it. Uh, I guess we still don't know what happened to lead up to him uh, being fed up, I suppose would be a way to describe what happened. Um, but he kind of... <laughs> well, well you, yeah, he, he kind of... They kind of said... Uh, uh, Bruce Arians talked to Jay Glazer, I think, and said that he asked him to go in the game, and he said no. And he asked him to go to the game again, and he said no. And then he just threw off pads and started walking. But even that's odd because, you know, most wide receivers want to go into the game. Uh, yeah. You know, I was assuming he might have gotten benched or something. But it, the, so it, the whole thing's bizarre, but it left the Buccaneers in a tough spot um, because, you know, with Mike Evans not fully healthy but playing, and with Chris Godwin obviously out for the year. You know, they were pretty reliant on Antonio Brown. When did that happen? When did he quit? Third quarter, middle of third quarter. Okay. So uh, Rob Gronkowski led the team in targets with 10. He had seven for 115. Uh, Mike Evans had seven targets going 447 and a touchdown. But uh, Cyril Grayson was uh, a big story here. He had six for 81 on eight targets. And I believe the game winner, uh, the game winning touchdown, right? Yeah, almost all of the Grayson targets and Tyler Johnson targets too as well. Um, a lot of that came on that final drive where Brady was just kind of peppering in the middle of the field. And honestly, watching this live, you're kind of just like, we're just going to let – there's no timeouts left. There's 
you've got two minutes, you're just going to keep checking down. It feels very weird. And he just kind of lulled the Jets into this false obscurity. And all of a sudden, here comes this pass to Grayson, this right past the safety, uh, just kind of sneaks it in right by him, and, and the Buccaneers are winning again. Just diabolical. <laughs> yeah, that that is pretty I, – I caught some of that too, and you got the sense because they had to spike. The guys were staying in bounds. They were having to spike it. It didn't seem like it was going to be a game-winning drive. Yeah, no. The last couple of plays, I think, were made up fifty or so yards on that one. So, <laughs> like, you know, you're you're sitting, you're sitting there watching it in like forty seconds, and they're on their own thirty or whatever. <laughs> this is probably over. Okay, well, that's fine. Good value and effort in the face of uh, some weird stuff. No, no, Tom Brady just going to break the Jets' heart to come. Talk to me about the backfield because Ronald Jones disappoints in a major way here, going twenty-six yards on ten carries. Keyshawn Vaughn had 31 yards on eight carries. Uh, he also had three targets going two for 14. Ronald Jones did have a reception, but only for one yard on one target. And Le'Veon Bell also mixing in going three for five on the ground. He got three targets, three receptions, and 30 yards. So were there some injuries here with the backfield? This is kind of a weird split. So Ronald Jones actually was kind of being platooned for most of the game anyway, but then in the third quarter, he left with an ankle injury. Uh, didn't really get an update on that. Kind of got lost in hoopla for some reason. I wonder why. I wonder what could have <laughs> happened to distract everybody. Yeah, at uh, least he kept his pads on. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't know how he, how, he, how he felt in that blue medical tent. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, Keyshawn Vaughn uh, got some early snaps in positive territory, had some good plays. Um, Le'Veon Bell was mostly like a third down kind of guy. Um, came on as a uh, you know, picking up some little drag routes over the middle against a linebacker. And surprisingly got a two-point conversion at the very end there. So maybe he's now on the radar firmly. But uh, I think the splits that I saw said that Bell outsnapped uh, Vaughn narrowly. I think it was mm. like 20-24 or something with Jones in third place. And uh, going to be some interesting week 18 usage. Yeah, for sure. That'll definitely be uh, important as we head into the playoffs. Um, Leonard Fournette's. Status obviously be important to monitor as we head in the playoffs as well. Let's talk about the Jets. Braxton Berrios was the leading receiver. He had 12 targets, eight receptions, 65 yards, and a touchdown. He also had a touchdown as a rusher going two for 12 on the ground with that touchdown. Uh, I guess, you know, really no one else even close to him in terms of receiving yards, receiving involvement. So, you know, uh, somehow they almost won with Braxton Berrios as the clear engine of the offense. Yeah, Braxton Berrios, um, I, I hate to go against the brand and everything because it's fun to just trash the Jets, but Braxton Berrios looked really good in this game, actually. He uh, turned some screens into big positive plays. Uh, his rushing touchdown came in like wildcat off the end around. Um, they were trying to find ways to get him more involved. He almost broke another rushing touchdown uh, in the third quarter when they handed it off to him and uh, only had one guy to beat. He got past this one guy, he was gone hmm. again. So he looked really fast, really spry. He got banged up a little bit at the very end of the game, but uh, should be okay. And as long as the Jets don't bring uh, Elijah Moore and uh, uh, Jameson back, they, they should be, you know, we should be looking at Braxton Barris as a wide receiver three flex guy for week 18. That makes sense. Uh, Michael Carter, I believe, did, was he concussed in this game? Concussed in the very end of the first quarter. Okay. So how did the backfield shake out after that? Uh, Ty Johnson got in the end zone 
Austin Walter, though, led the team with 14 carries. Yeah, Walter kind of took over the Tevin Coleman role, and uh, Ty Johnson was primarily a third on back. Uh, the Jets had a lot more rushing success than you would have thought coming into this game against the Bucs, who have been generally pretty good. Uh, they worked the edge really well. Uh, they stayed away from Vita Vea in the middle, and they happened to uh, spring a couple big plays, including Carter's 55-yarder. Um, so it was kind of surprising that the Jets did as well as they did, and a lot of that became on the ground. How did Zach Wilson look overall? So Zach Wilson made some really nice throws over the middle. Um, I think this you'd probably say this is his best game of the season. I haven't watched all the Jets games, obviously, but just on pure volume, pure production standpoint, <clears throat> he looked pretty good. Um, kind of the problem with him is that uh, he still has those moments where he's scrambling to get something done and uh, he now realizes that he can't do it at least most of the time so so so, so that's nice but that's it's just like a like a like a seven second throw away and you're like what was the point of this yeah that okay um all right and then i guess how did brady look with without antonio brown and you know just kind of in general he's, he's kind of got reduced weaponry yeah um Brady's still really good, it turns out. <laughs> uh, he, he, he did miss one deep shot to Gronkowski in the middle of the first quarter, end of the first quarter, somewhere around there. That could have been another uh, another score. But other than that, I mean, he looked good. Most of the problem was the offense was just weird and congested in some ways. And Antonio Brown uh, happened to wander into Rob Gronkowski's uh, area in a couple of these zone plays which is really interesting and <laughs> makes you wonder what could have been happening. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. All right. Rivers McCown. Appreciate it. Thanks. The bills defeated the Falcons 29 to 15. The bills are the first team since the 2004 Steelers not to punt in consecutive games. And they got things rolling on the ground here with 233 combined rushing yards. Second time in bills franchise history to have two players rush for multiple touchdowns, both Josh Allen and Devin Singletary, both getting in the end zone twice here, John Daigle. They had arm punts from Josh Allen, if that counts, because <laughs> the Bills in the third quarter finally turned to the running game whenever Josh Allen had thrown his third interception in what was four passes. Uh, boneheaded throws as well. It was Aiken to Josh Allen's decision-making of the 2019 season where he was just forcing the issue and trying too much and extending the play rather than making the smarter, wiser choices closer to the line of scrimmage. Uh, also some bad luck involved. Stephon Diggs dropped an end zone target that was very similar to the end zone target Emmanuel Sanders dropped against the Patriots just last week. But overall, still, Allen clearly trying to do too much. 120 yards passing, I think, tells the story here. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, getting it done with his legs and leaning on Devin Singletary the rest of the way. Devin Singletary also now, by the way, who had 23 carries this game, uh, or, or 23 touches overall, 23 of 28 backfield touches, and now 70, 73 of the team's 86 backfield touches over the last month. Very clearly, bell cow, not workhorse, bell cow RB1 for the Bills. Yeah, although interestingly, you only had one target here, didn't have a reception. Uh, you know, granted, you're you're making the point they kind of turned to the rushing game because of the way Allen was playing. But um, you know, interesting that they aren't using Singletary so much underneath and kind of those checkdowns. Although you know, maybe more on Allen than Singletary in that regard. 
They had been previously, just not this game. Allen only threw 26 times. He had 11 completions. That's why, like, if you look at Stephon Diggs' day and you say, well, like, five catches, 52 yards, that's nothing. But, like, 52 yards out of 120, nearly half of Allen's receiving yards. Like, market share-wise, it was really good for Diggs. It was just a poor passing day overall. Uh, And after that third interception is when they started riding Singletary in the second half. And from that point forward, they got it done with these. Uh, Matt Ryan and the Falcons tried to challenge them in the end, did cut it to a one-score game. 22-29 22-29 in the fourth quarter. Ryan scrambles for a seven-yard quarterback run and a touchdown. Uh, and then he talks trash, oddly enough, to safety Jordan Poyer. Gets called for taunting. Not only does he get called for taunting, then the touchdown goes under review, and it turns out his knee was down at the one. So now you oh, tack man. on in a one-score game that you just technically just tied up. You now take the ball to the one. You tack on 15 yards. Suddenly it's third and 16 rather than 28-29 to kick the extra point to tie the game. And so his next two throws on third and fourth down in the fourth quarter to tie the game were just incompletions. So just a a terrible turn of events, as always happens with the Falcons. And that was genuinely like the game-changing play right there. That's wild. Yeah, Yeah. that's that's a pretty impactful penalty. Uh, Totally uh, unforced error. Before we get into the Falcons, I did want to just ask you about Cole Beasley because we had the big Isaiah McKenzie game last week. Cole Beasley, though, had six targets to McKenzie's two, and he had two for 22. Uh, McKenzie just one for six, but I, I believe Beasley may have had a two-point conversion in this game as well. Yes. Also, though, McKenzie, they tried to get involved inside the 10-yard line with a couple concerted touches. So back to the bench, but also – using his explosiveness wisely for concerted touches. So that's something we hadn't seen before, them prioritizing in the offense. And even if it's just a handful of plays, uh, the fact that they were willing to do that showed that he's probably sticking around in a receiver rotation. It was Gabriel Davis, as we've seen in the past, step in for Emmanuel Sanders as the team de facto number two receiver, while Cole Beasley, Dawson Knox, and now Isaiah McKenzie battled out underneath for those shallow targets that are so rare to come by from Josh Allen. But overall, yes, uh, I think moving forward, we'll see what happens with Emmanuel Sanders in Week 18. Uh, the Bills are still competing for a bye. Like they can clinch the division over the, with a win over the New York Jets and thus get the first-round bye. There's only one, remember, this year. And so they are still playing for something that matters in Week 18. Thus, mm-hmm. if Emmanuel Sanders is out, I would expect we go right back to Gabriel Davis as the guy right behind Stephon Diggs. Okay, on the Falcons side, Kyle Pitts, I believe, was was banged up in this game. Uh, he had two catches for 69 yards on four targets, but uh, what was the word on his health? Yeah, 61-yard catch in the second quarter, and after that play, he injured himself, a hamstring strain, ran off the field, went to the tent, tried to come back, and when he came back, was literally just on one leg, bouncing around on his routes quickly mm. like after two routes got pulled off the field we didn't see him again the rest of the game they called him questionable didn't roll out but it was very clear he's not he was not going to make it having said that that 69 yard catch was still the 58 yards he needed to become the first rookie tight end in the last 60 years since Mike Ditka to go over a thousand receiving yards so he at least got that milestone I believe he is 57 yards shy of the overall record that Ditka set uh, but we'll see what the hamstring strain does because that could also mean they just shut him down since the Falcons clearly have nothing left to play for. I don't think they can sneak in. Um, I hope I'm not wrong on I could be wrong on that. I haven't seen just the details just yet because we're waiting on a few final decisions here, but I believe they still cannot get in uh, unless the participation trophy playoffs say otherwise. <laughs> 
Hey, I'm not, I'm not sure either, but uh, let's talk about Cordell Patterson. Uh, Mike Davis got the touchdown here, eight rushes, 42 yards and a touchdown. Patterson had nine for 28. Patterson had two targets, two receptions and 24 yards. Mike Davis also had two targets going one for 15. So it's, it's kind of felt like Patterson's just kind of turned back into dust a little bit here. Well, Remember a couple weeks ago, Arthur Smith even came out and said they're managing his touches down the stretch. I don't know what yeah. they're managing for. I have, I have no idea, but uh, yeah, they said they're managing his touches. And we've seen now, like even in this game, he just out-touched Mike Davis 11 to 9. So it's not like like they even told you. So, you know, anyone right. treating him as like an RB1 or 2 like he was in November, that, that's just wrong now. Uh, he's very clearly at the end of the season an RB4 or 5 um, that we can't trust in a bad offense. So just change your outlook for Week 18. Whether he plays or not, we know he's going to split touches. Yeah, uh, that seems fair. Any thoughts on uh, this game before we move on? That's about it. Uh, Falcons mustered all they could chew, and with a COVID-laden secondary, did quite well. You know, AJ Terrell still covering Stevon Diggs, so played significantly better than I thought they would, even given the the wind, snowy conditions. It was really just Josh Allen that struggled, not the Falcons. All right, let's move to the Saints who defeated the Panthers 18-10. to The Saints defense has not given up more than 10 points in four straight games. Uh, some of that may be schedule-related, though. Eh, well, all of it is probably schedule-related, <laughs> to be honest. Not only that, but also their offense has just been atrocious. Uh, that 12-yard reception touchdown by Alvin Kamara in the fourth quarter was actually their first touchdown since the fourth quarter of Week 14. Uh, they're just a atrocious, mm-hmm. atrocious offense. Uh, nonetheless got it done, and they are still hanging around, don't know how, in the <laughs> NFC participation trophy wild card race, and uh, they very well could get a card, a great matchup next week against the Falcons as well. So the Falcons can play spoilers to a division foe, but the Saints do have a chance, need a lot of help, but do have a chance to sneak in. Um, nonetheless, this offense has still just become two guys as we expect it to. This game was without Mark Ingram. And so, you know, you look and you see, Really, Adam Prentice, who is their backup fullback, is the only person who was involved in the backfield really behind Alvin Kamara. That's what we expected, though. Uh, we expected, you know, the 18 care or the 13 carries, 18 total touches overall. Uh, Prentice got one target to Kamara's six, I believe it was. And so, yeah, he was used as a elite workhorse running back. The ceiling production was not there, but you were playing him as an elite RB one for the touches that he got without Ingram. So we'll see if Ingram, who was limited to close the week can make it back for week 18. Obviously, a much better matchup against Atlanta next week. But him, Taysom Hill's legs, and then Marcus Callaway, who's quietly emerged as well. A couple big chunk gains here, too. It wasn't just like one big fluke play that Callaway ended up leading the team with 96 receiving yards. And also now, his last two starts from Hill, because we have a, a fluky, bad, whatever it is, start from Ian Book sandwiched in between here. But the two last Taysom Hill starts, Callaway has accrued 19 targets and led the team in targets in both games now. Um, you know, a 28-yard catch, back shoulder catch in this one, a 15-yard catch that set them up for their third field goal in the first half. So Callaway is actually emerging now, unlike the first half of the season, as their true number one wideout. That's something, at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving over to the Panthers' side, uh, you know, we were supposed to have maybe a little bit of a resurgence here for DJ Moore because we had Sam Darnold coming back. No, who uh, told you that? You know, it's better than Cam <laughs> Newton, right? Something. Yeah. And we've seen it already. Uh, I, I think <laughs> it's been the longest season ever. So people forget like the Daryl Williams situation. Like we've seen all the Elijah Mitchell coming back from injury and getting all the carries. All these situations <laughs> we've seen already this year, sometimes even twice. And so like Sam Darnold averaging five yards per attempt 
and missing his wide receivers. Like, remember, when we didn't have Sam Darnold <laughs> earlier this year and we got Cam Newton, we would be on preview shows and we'd say it can't be as bad as Darnold, right? So, like, that's what makes the situation better. So, like, no, we did not expect anything and we got what we expected. <laughs> Well, we got uh, Ian Thomas leading the team and receiving yards. So I would say yeah. we didn't get fully what we expected. It's, I mean, it was a little worse than expected. Uh, to be fair, under duress, uh, a lot of Carolina's offensive starters banged up on the COVID list. And the Saints, including Marcus Davenport, who had three and a half sacks in this one, second consecutive game with two sacks, just took it to them. Seven total sacks on Sam Darnold. Uh, even when we was holding together together as a check down artist, uh, eventually the fumble came as turnovers always do with Sam Darnold. And that's really what got the Saints back into this game. Since again, they didn't score that touchdown to make it 18-10 until the final quarter. They were literally hovering around with field goals the entire game. So overall, yes, it was the lack of explosive offense that you would expect from this Panthers offense now. Uh, <laughs> Chuba Hubbard with a shocking, shocking 21-yard touchdown run in the first half. Did not see that coming. Amir Abdullah as the primary receiving back since Reggie Bonifon, I believe, was still on the COVID list this week. Uh, that's one of the sneakier ones that got put on since people didn't realize he actually split touches with Abdullah last week, signed off their practice squad. So, uh, yeah, just, you know, your, your random batch of Panthers receivers, uh, DJ Moore, Allen Robinson, Terry McLaurin, all in the same boat in their careers right now. Yeah, the boat where you need to find another team would be. Uh... <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. I mean, that's pretty much it. That's the boat. All right, Cortland Sutton. Let's add Cortland Sutton to that list. Cortland Sutton. Well, he might not have to find another team if he can get another quarterback in there. That's Maybe true. Russell yeah. Wilson. Maybe. <laughs> All right, Daigle, appreciate it. The Patriots defeated the Jaguars fifty to ten. The Patriots have now clinched a playoff berth, and they scored fifty plus points here for the first time since two thousand seven. Let's talk about the Patriots side first. Uh, I covered this game and, you know, it was almost immediately a blowout. Patriots came right down the field. They scored a touchdown and they scored that touchdown through Damian Harris, uh, who had a nice seven yard run down to the two yard line. He punched that in for a touchdown. But Ramondre Stevenson actually had a 15 yard run to set them up at the nine. So he was involved somewhat early on. But Damian Harris was very clearly the lead running back to begin the game, and they leaned on him again in their second drive, and he scored a touchdown on their second drive. So, you know, that kind of set the tone, and the Patriots were just dominant throughout this entire game deep into the fourth quarter with like three minutes left in the fourth quarter. The Jaguars were losing 50-3. to three. Uh, They only had three points. Um, you know, that laid into, into the, uh, into the fourth quarter. So uh, while the Jaguars did eventually score a touchdown to make it 50 to 10, uh, they, uh, they scored that touchdown with, uh, with, yeah, 356 left in the fourth quarter. So just an utterly dominant performance by the Patriots. And that led to them pulling Damian Harris out of the game. Uh, questionable to return with a hamstring injury was was the official report, but it was it was very clear that he was not coming back to the game, and it's unclear if anything even happened to Damian Harris. Most of the beat writers seem to think that he did not re-injure his hamstring; he didn't tweak his hamstring. He just entered the game with a hamstring pull, you know, that they were managing, and they didn't want to be messing around with it in a game that was really over before it started. 
So Ramondre Stevenson got a ton of work as a result. He got 19 carries to Damian Harris's nine. He had 107 rushing yards to Damian Harris's 35. And Stevenson had two rushing touchdowns in this game, kind of in mop-up duty. But there was a lot to mop up. He had uh, just kind of punched in a touchdown. But then he had a nicer touchdown for a second score where he kind of got around the corner. So, uh, you know, pretty decent day for Stevenson, 5.6 yards per carry. <laughs> like, you know, when they know that you're just trying to assault the game away, that's that's somewhat impressive to be able to be that efficient. Uh, Mac Jones was also very effective in this game. He had 227 passing yards, three passing touchdowns. Uh, Jacoby Myers was kind of his go-to guy early in the game. He uh, had eight targets, caught all eight of them, went 73 yards and a touchdown. Uh, but the interesting guy here was Christian Wilkerson, who was filling in for Nikhil Harry. And filling in is the wrong word, actually. I mean, he just tried to replace Nikhil Harry because Harry was healthy scratched in this game after running around on 100% of dropbacks last week. They clearly did not like what they saw. Wilkerson had been a practice squad guy. They bring him up. He immediately slots into a major role. He got eight targets here, tied for the team lead. He went four for 42 and two touchdowns. Uh, He got wide, wide open on his second touchdown, which was a blown coverage, although it was kind of a misread play more than a blown coverage, I guess, where it was a it was like a fake screen. And Wilkerson like went to throw a block, but it was part of the the fake play, basically. So they sort they sold this screen. I believe that you know the intended screen target would have been Kendrick Bourne, but it was all a ruse and no one covered Wilkerson after he threw the fake block. His defender went in to try to blow up the screen. There was no screen and he caught an easy touchdown. So that was nice. That was a 20 yarder. He also had had a his first touchdown was in the back of the end zone, I believe a four yard touchdown. He almost had a long touchdown pass that bounced off his hand or it was in his hands and he did not secure it. Um, so that was disappointing because he could have had a three touchdown day. You have to think that we're going to see more of Wilkerson, uh, if, if Aguilar is missing any more time, uh, showed pretty well in his debut here. It was his first career touchdown and he got two of them in this game. So, you know, in his one game, by the way, he has as many career touchdowns as Jacoby Myers, who got his second today. Uh, Hunter Henry, not very involved. He only had three for 37 on five targets, but you know, a pretty Pretty low volume passing day, not like nothing, but you know, 30 attempts, not not a ton. And Henry ultimately he has to get in the end zone to really have value. Kendrick Bourne had a nice run. He had a 46 uh yard, it, you know, it was a yards after catch kind of um catch and run type of play as as Kendrick Bourne does. He had uh five for 76, actually led the team in receiving yards, but that catch and run was pretty late in the game and it really in garbage time. Uh on the Jaguars side. You know, Trevor Lawrence did not play well at all in this game. He did throw his second touchdown pass in the last nine weeks, which is good, I guess. Uh, twelve Week 12 was the last time that he threw a touchdown pass. Before that, he hadn't thrown one since week eight. But that touchdown pass, I mean, it was meaningless as, as far as, you know, taking anything forward about you know what to expect from Lawrence. It was a garbage time screen pass to Dari Gumbawale, who took it 28 yards for a touchdown. It really, you know, any quarterback in the league could have thrown the screen pass. There was nothing special about the throw. 
On the other hand, he was making really bad mistakes at times. Uh, he had three interceptions in this game. The first interception was not his fault. It bounced off Ryquel Armstead's hands, went for an interception. It wasn't like the best throw, uh, but it, you know, certainly was not interception worthy. Then he had uh, another throw that was both like low and sort of off target to Tavon Austin, and that was intercepted. That was definitely on Lawrence. And then he had a third interception that honestly should have been a pick six, or it came very close to being a pick six. The defender uh, was knocked out like right at the one. And that was a really, really bad throw where he either just misread the coverage, um, or didn't see the defender because a defender kind of easily stepped in front of his throw. And it wasn't even like that long of a throw. That was the other thing. It's not, you know, generally that he's attacking downfield and making mistakes. He's not like a gunslinger who's, who's, you know, leading to, you know, interceptions downfield or something like a Drew Locke or, you know, something like that. It's, it's kind of like routine throws that are then getting intercepted. Um, he did have one throw that downfield, you know, kind of a 50, 50 type ball, uh, let Laquan Treadwell go up and make a play. And, Treadwell rewarded him, came down with it in traffic, uh, had a 40-yard reception on that play. So that was nice to see. But that was like the only nice play uh, that really happened throughout the game um, on the Jaguars' side. It, it was it was pretty rough. Uh, Dari Gumbawale, he had nine rushes here for 36 yards. Reichel Armstead, six for 28. Uh, Gumbawale had two targets. Armstead had two targets. Agumbole obviously had far more receiving yards because he had that 28-yard uh, screen pass for a touchdown. Armstead only had six receiving yards. and had a ball bounce off his hands for an interception. So, yeah, Agumbole is ahead here, but, like, what does that mean? Are you going to actually play him in Week 18? It's, it's You just need the offense to be clicking a little bit better, and it's hard to imagine they're going to be all that much better next week. But, you know, this was a very difficult matchup, so... Hopefully we'll see Trevor Lawrence close out his season a little bit better than he looked here uh, in this very tough matchup where Bill Belichick definitely got the best of him. But that'll do it for the Patriots and the Jaguars. All right, that'll do it for a jam-packed Week 17 recap pod. The plan is to have a Week 18 recap pod next week. We're going to be doing like a little bit more of kind of season and review type of recaps, less focused on the game so much. We'll talk about the games, but kind of keep that recap lens for the, the entire season, but also for the playoff teams looking forward, you know, thinking about what we can expect from rotations and all that, emerging players, et cetera, because playoff contests are coming up and those are obviously huge. You need to know which guys are going to be under the radar there, which guys maybe are going to be best left for your opponents to be playing in these playoff contests. But look forward to doing that pod for you next week. And thanks for listening this week. We'll see you later. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. Sauce of destiny. Yes. 
the most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.